0: This episode of Holly Randall Unfiltered is brought to you by Balesa.co. Balesa is a completely badass adult entertainment website for women. Launched just under a year ago, Balesa has quickly grown to become a premier destination in porn, with millions of women around the world joining the community. There are three main things that you can find on Belessa: Steamy videos that prioritize female pleasure... Some of the best erotic fiction on the web featuring New York Times bestsellers, and articles that talk sex, relationships, and female health, with recent features such as Can All Women Have Multiple Orgasms? and This Is How Long Sex Actually Lasts for Most Couples. Go to Belessa.co, that's B E L L E S A.co, and join the revolution. Today on the podcast, I am ecstatic to have Australian porn star Angela White on. Angela is a very busy girl between shooting tons of scenes because she's very much in high demand to running her own incredibly well-branded personal company to hosting the AVN Awards later this week that I was really, really privileged that she found the time to sit down and talk to me about everything that's going on in her life I've worked with Angela a few times, but I feel like I don't really know her that well on a personal level, so I'm really excited to change that today. And so everybody, let's welcome the beautiful, the bodacious, and the definitely busty Angela Way onto Holly Randall Unfiltered. Welcome back to the show, everybody. And today I have on the beautiful
1: Angela White. Angela, hi. How are you this morning? I'm really well. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited that you came on. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. I am a fan of your podcast. I'm an avid listener, so I'm excited to be here with you today. You know, honestly,
0: it's so funny because, I don't know, first of all, I'm always super flattered when people in the industry follow, listen to my podcast because, You know, we talk a lot about what goes on in the industry, and and I can understand how somebody from outside the industry would be interested in those things. But I always think that people in the industry don't want to hear about everyday work stuff. But I guess
1: I don't think that's true. Well, firstly, usually they're our friends, so and we all want to hear about our friends. We want to know what our friends have been up to. We want to hear and what they've been up to on set and what they enjoy. And then in general, it's just interesting. And obviously. We'll talk about it later, but my research involves the industry, so I'm mm-hmm. always looking for information about how other people experience the industry and what they like and dislike about it. So for me, it's incredibly interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I'm very flattered to have you on. I know that you're incredibly busy, and we had to – so full disclosure, everybody, today is January 2nd, yes. and I know this isn't going to release until um, – the middle of January, right before the Avian Awards, which you are hosting, yes. which is amazing. Thank you. Um, so we were just kind of talking about, you know, what we did for New Year's Eve, and you stayed home and you worked and you were productive, yes. right? Yes. Because that's the kind of person that you are. <laughs> yes. And then you worked on New Year's Day? Yes. Did you do a scene on New <laughs> Year's Day? I did a scene, yeah. I did that, an anal scene with Manuel Ferreira. Who works on New... <laughs> you know what? Like, porn just doesn't take holidays. They just No, don't.
1: no. You don't... I mean, unless you specifically schedule yourself a holiday, you, you won't have one.
0: Have you ever... You have never worked on, like... Thanksgiving or Christmas Eve or anything, have you? No. Okay, so just New Year's Day.
1: Yeah, New Year's Day. Wow. I would have worked on New Year's Eve. but I mean, I did, I did other kinds of work. I didn't right. shoot, so I, I, I didn't shoot, sorry. So I did editing and right. I did my emails and did all that sort of paperwork. Yeah. Um, but I would have shot a scene. What a way to bring in the New Year. I guess so. Yeah. I guess so.
0: Um, I mean, you're a different kind, you're a different breed of porn star because you're not just the kind of girl who shows up to set um, with the wardrobe provided, does a scene, goes home, cashes the check, and then does whatever the hell else you do with the rest of the day. Like you run your own business, you are your own brand, and you've been very, very careful in cultivating that brand, which I've always found incredibly impressive. I mean, um, you know, I think that you definitely see the value in creating your own brand and the internet and the platform that it allows you to have to yes. control. Your your career. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell me like exactly how involved how Angela White came about. When did you decide to make yourself a brand? Was that from the start? Or how did that all happen?
1: Well, I got into the industry to explore my sexuality. So that was that was the main reason. Those were my main motivations were to be able to express and explore my sexuality with like-minded peers in a safe environment. And in the beginning, it was really just that. I just wanted to have sex and I wanted to have kinky sex and I wanted to have sex that I couldn't have outside of the porn industry. So I began exploring that with other companies. But what I realised was that I was still portraying what they like their idea of sexuality like mm-hmm. the fantasies that they had written and that was fun i enjoyed that but there were fantasies and scenarios that i wanted to play out that i need really needed my own company to do so to 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 be able to really make it my own
0: right cuz you were sexual like from a young age like in high school i think yeah. i remember reading that you were teased a lot about your sexuality and um, that you found that porn was finally a place where you felt at home and you could be comfortable with who you were.
1: Yeah, so, I um, I mean, I, I was very sexual from a, a young age and I lost my virginity at, what, 14, so I don't know if that might That's be considered. Not, it's, it's, it's not, it's funny, that young. it's like, some
0: people might consider that young, but I remember I didn't lose my virginity till I was 16, yep. and all my friends lost it at 14, so I totally felt, like, left out.
1: It probably depends on, like, the area you grow up I think in so, yeah. as well. Yeah, so, so, but... That age was really uh, – that was those were my formative years, so I really came into my own sexuality at that point. I realised that I was very much attracted to both men and women and so I was criticised a lot. Um, I was criticised for sleeping with a lot of guys and I was called a slut and then when I slept with women I was teased as a lesbian or in Australia the slang is lemon, so I had lemons thrown at me. So <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um, so, yeah. it But, but you made – Lemonade. I did. That's when right. When life gives you lemons, you <laughs> made <laughs> lemonade. That's Sorry, right. I couldn't. Resist. No. Please. <laughs> um, but it, basically, in that period, I realized that no matter how I was going to express my sexuality, it was going to be deemed inappropriate. Right. And so, w- sexuality is such a core part of my being mm-hmm. that that really. <laughs> it it really had an uh, effect on me. You know, I I really wanted to feel comfortable in my own sexuality. I wanted to be able to express myself and I wanted to be supported in doing that. I didn't want to feel shunned or criticized or outcast. So somebody introduced me, a boyfriend introduced me to pornography and flipping through magazines at at the start and then DVDs and what I realized was that here were people having sex with, multiple other people, mo- varying genders, and they were being celebrated for that. So I saw pornography as this environment where I could express myself, I could explore the depths and breadths of my sexuality, and people would encourage that and support me.
0: You know, what I love about this story is that, you know, you were faced with a with some urges and a, I don't know, personality or some drives that were not accepted and rather than you just trying to squash that and trying to change who you were you sought an avenue that would accept you for who you were
1: well I I almost feel like I didn't have a choice Mm -hmm. I mean sexuality is such a drive for me
0: but people try to repress it Uh, all the time and that's I mean honestly I feel like that is a a big reason that we have all kinds of problems in the world. I mean, I've said this before and I'll say it again. You know, those countries that suppress sexuality, that outlaw porn have the highest rates of violence against women, sexual violence. I mean, human beings are sexual creatures. And when you, the more you try to repress that sexuality, the more it works itself out in like very destructive ways. I agree with that.
1: Absolutely. Well, and I think... Yeah, I I don't know what it is about my personality that meant that I I decided to tr- try and find an av- avenue to continue to explore that rather than trying to censor myself um, or try and be a different person. But obviously, I'm very glad that that I that I've gone on the path that I have, and now I'm finally in this this industry where I do get to express my sexuality and explore my desires, and I have a an amazing time with it, and that's that's where I ended up, how I ended up building my brand was actually, you know, my sexuality again was my drive to build this brand so that then I could do what I wanted so that I could, I could choose my partners. I could choose the location. Like I could choose my, my wardrobe, like everything to the the smallest detail. It's all my vision. And that's, that's what I wanted to do. And that's where the Angela White brand came and AngelaWhite.com and my DVDs. And now I have a flashlight as well. Oops. Um, so yeah, it's it's been an amazing journey, and you're
0: very specific about um, your brand and your look because I have worked for you before, and I remember that it was you know very much down to the detail of. I want a location where the like the room needs to be a certain size, yes. and the wardrobes like have to match up in a certain way. If you're working with another girl, even the color temperature was very specific. You know um, where the highlights lay on the histogram. I mean, down to like these very specific details that I usually never really think about that much, and I certainly never have. I've never had um, a client be so specific about those little tiny details, um, which really showed me that you had a very specific idea of what you were after. And you can see it in your work, you know, like your photos have a certain kind of coolness to them. Like my, my photos are very warm and yours are very cool. and, And it's, and that look totally works for you. And I think actually it goes really well with like your light skin tone and your black hair. It really makes all of that pop. But yeah, it was really interesting for me, and especially like working for a model, you know, because a lot of them are not as invested technically in their product as as you are, you know. And I mean, I can't tell you how many models I've shot for that I send them raw pictures afterwards, and they're like, "I can't open these on my phone," oh. and I'm like, <laughs> or I send them a zip file, I, "I can't open this. Are you trying to open it on your phone?" "Yes." "Okay, you need to open a zip file on
1: your laptop." "And what's this? What's this file? I can't open it." "I'm like, oh my god." Well, everyone starts from somewhere, yes. obviously. And so I I I'm very you're like you said, I'm very specific about my look and I guess I it it comes down to knowing what I want as well. Some people don't know what they want and you have to explore different things until to find what you like and mm-hmm. what how you want your your photos to look and obviously when it comes to actually doing post production, not everybody wants to edit their own photos or edit their own videos or update their website. These are all things that you can have other people do. But for me personally, I find that I get a lot of satisfaction from doing all of the process myself.
0: I think it's incredibly important to see the process through from the beginning to the end because Mm. once again, I've had so many experiences where people hire me to shoot for them, right? And I shoot this beautiful content and I'm not handling the editing or the retouching and then I send it to them. And because like they don't have that incredibly well trained eye that I've cultivated over the last 20 years, they'll put out the content not retouched because, oh, it looks fine to me um, or not color corrected. They don't see like the yellows and the highlights that I see. Um, they, they barely, you know, the editing is really terrible. I've had clients who have not, cause I record the audio separately on a boom. I've had them not use the audio oh, from no. the boom and just use the scratch audio from the camera. And I'm just like, and it it frustrates me to no end because a part of me wants to actually say from here on out, like, I need to handle the entire process from start to finish because I can't trust you to complete the process in the way that it's supposed to be done. So in the end, the content doesn't look like my stuff. And they may not notice it, but I totally notice yeah. it and it makes me nuts. And then like sometimes when I'll – and then I have to go and like kind of reprimand them, which is awkward because they're my clients and they paid me, right? Yeah. So I should just be happy. You can, should be able to do whatever you want with your stuff. But it's like if you hire me, I want it to look like why you hired me. And that's your brand. Right. And that's you
1: looking after your brand. Yes. So yeah. yeah, that would be frustrating. And that that frustration is what led me to – being that the micromanager that I am, and mm-hmm. that's why I do everything myself because nobody wants to be micromanaged. It's right. easier for it's easier and quicker for me to edit my own scenes and my own movies than to have someone else do it and us go back and forth and me say I need two seconds off there and one se- It's just yeah. it's just quicker and 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 better for everybody that I just do it myself. And it's a creative process which I really enjoy.
0: I actually have been considering teaching myself how to edit because kind of for that very reason. Though to be honest, the editor that I have is fucking amazing. And I love his stuff, but he like refuses to upgrade to 4k, oh. uh, which is, it's becoming a problem because everything's in 4k now. Yeah. So, um, either I'm going to have to like pay for him to get all new equipment, to upgrade to 4k. Cause he kind of only edits for me or I'm going to have to do it myself. Um, but I've always felt that, I don't know. I feel like isn't porn editing. Does it, does not numb you at all? Like just, because i feel like i would go insane like i don't even want to watch my scene after i've shot it like i like to watch the intro you know if there's dialogue i want to watch how that went um i want to see you know the over to the shoulder shots and or if there's a strip tease i want to so see how that goes but the minute it gets to sex i'm done i don't want to watch the scene
1: well i'm invested in it in a different way because right. All the scenes that I direct and produce, I also star in. Right. So I'm invested in it in you know, a sexual way. So when I edit, there's often times when I'm editing and I have to stop multiple on multiple occasions to masturbate because I'm turned on again. That's so, incredible. <laughs> See, that that is a perfect example
0: of why you're great for this industry because – I've you know, I had people ask me, they're like, Why don't you do porn? The idea of seeing myself have sex on camera makes me want to throw up.
1: Look, sometimes it's like, mortifying. I'm not gonna say that every time <laughs> yeah. every time I see myself having sex, I'm like, wow, this is so hot. Sometimes yeah. I am I'm mortified by But
0: that's the, probably not your own productions.
1: Well, not sometimes in my own productions okay. I'll but it's it's more things that you just have to Get over because it's like, oh, I pull an ugly face when I orgasm. But, you know, that's great. I Mm -hmm. had an orgasm. You know, you just. It was authentic. Yeah. And the the other thing is that I noticed that when I started editing my own content, I became a much, much, much better director and a much, much better performer because I can see why I need to put my leg here. I can see why I need to reshoot this at a certain angle. I just, I just understand. I'm more understanding. And even when I'm on set for other companies, instead of like I've heard girls when, when we're doing a threesome, I've heard girls say, why do we have to do that? And I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. we have to do that because you know it's not going to match up when they're editing. You, you see, you see more things. You understand, you become more patient on set because mm-hmm. you understand the process. So I think it's I think it's great when models edit their own stuff. Even once, even just to see. Or even and watching your own stuff, a lot of a lot of poem performers won't do it because it makes them feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But you don't know what you're doing wrong yes. until you watch your own stuff.
0: I think that's probably like some of the greatest pieces of advice that you could give new girls or even girls who've been in the industry for a while because you're absolutely right and and for myself as a producer when I'm working with a model who also is a producer themselves who has worked behind the scenes in editing or shooting or something like that they know what I'm trying to achieve, and yes. the level of communication is so much better, and we're so much more efficient because i'll get this one shot, and then like they understand I need to do like the reverse shot like over the shoulder and or if we cut, they understand that you know it's usually better to back up a couple paces when we go to the yes. so that this the transition is smooth, like all these little things they get, and it just makes my life so much easier, and it just makes the entire process. That much faster, really.
1: And it makes your editor's
0: life so much easier. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly.
1: So um, can we can we see what's in all the boxes? You can. Well, one of them I won't show you. Oh, sorry. One of them I won't show you because I know this is going to go on YouTube. There's, this bag has some...
0: Oh, some very naughty yes. things in it. We, okay. It has
1: some DVDs in it. So okay. these are to, to give away to your listeners or uh-huh. however you want to do their gifts. You can do it. You can keep them all for yourself, whatever you want. Well, maybe
0: I'll just <laughs> use them all and then I'll give them to Yeah,
1: us. just take, take what you need from them <laughs> okay. and then you can give them away. Okay. So this has an Angela White hat in it so I can get this. Ooh, oh, we can. and yeah. these are great hats too. I've yeah. seen these. Look at
0: this. This is amazing. I love this. You know it's funny. I have like the circular logo as well, but um, I don't know why yours looks way cooler than mine. Like I feel like I would not wear a hat with this with my own logo on it, but I would totally wear yours.
1: I think that well, I I don't wear a hat with my own logo on it, but but that's because <laughs> it seems it's weird. Right? Yeah, it seems a little like. I'm sure there are plenty of people that would wear a hat with your logo okay,
0: on it. Okay, I'm going to maybe, I, yeah. I made, well, as you know, I made the robes
1: with yes, my own logo yes, on it. Yes, Oh, they were so soft so and cushy. comfortable. Yeah, they really comfortable.
0: are like better than the robes that I have. Yeah, yeah, they're
1: really, really nice. Yeah, I love how you have
0: your own branded shopping bags and yeah. boxes and everything. This is amazing. I'm,
1: I'm very detail oriented. I'm going to
0: have to ask you where you got all this done. Yeah, I can give you all the info. Yeah, this yeah. is fantastic. Okay, what's in
1: the box? What's in the box? What's in the, what's the box? In the box? Was in the fucking box <laughs> well there's a there's another hat there's okay. a t-shirt i think there's some stickers in there so Ooh. yeah okay
0: all right i'll have to break that out later okay so listeners and patreon members i'm definitely going to be adding this as little prizes for you guys so make sure you stay tuned because this is far too generous for me to keep just for myself
1: well there's i mean that one has a hat in it so you can give away the box you can Keep
0: the hat. I might, I might keep. You know what? My boyfriend would 100% wear this because my boyfriend loves hats. Give, give he him wears a hat. hat, like, we have a coat rack, it's just a hat tree.
1: Oh, nice! He, he must have
0: like 15 hats on it.
1: So, give him the hat, and there's two DVDs the in sure. here, and you can put one of the DVDs in that bag. And okay, then, cool,
0: yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, speaking of DVDs, I love the cover of I think it's your newest release the, with you and Manuel.
1: Yeah, Angela Volume 3. Oh my mm. god.
0: I I just love Okay, so for those of you who haven't seen it, it's um a shot of Angela and Manuel's behind her and he's dressed like to the nines in this very nice suit and he's and she's he's kind of like grabbing her throat and bending her backwards so that she looks at him from upside down. Yes. And it's just the 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 form of it. I mean, like the the look in Manuel's eyes.
1: He looks the so look, handsome. Yeah, and the shot. look. In,
0: I mean, there's like <sighs> there's connection. I mean, you know, it's it's beautiful in terms of just the poses of your bodies. I mean, it's just like thank did you. you come, that wasn't
1: that wasn't even the cover. That was just an advert. That was just a marketing shot.
0: Okay, so and then you were just, okay. Did you like come to set? With that specific shot in mind, yes. or were you guys just, no, like, no, fucking no. around? No, no, no,
1: that was definitely, that's a very Manuel move. Yes. Yeah, he he does that while he's fucking, so I was like, I want that Manuel move. I yeah. want to capture that. It, but
0: also, too, you guys were, like, perfectly, you were, like, your height was just because per-
1: that wouldn't work. No. At a different height. Like if you were taller, that wouldn't it work. It wouldn't work. Yeah. Unless I kind of bent my knees. But that, for Angela Volume 3, that whole marketing campaign, um, I'll have to send, I'll send you all the photos. But okay. it's, it, it, they all work together. Right. So it was very planned out, again, detail oriented. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's the best, best DVD I've ever done by far. So what what scenes are in that? So that, that was the biggest release I've ever done. It has uh, my first scene with Mandingo. Which okay. Is,
0: it, he has a
1: very large penis. Very I have, very large. I have heard. And it was anal as well. Oh jeez. So yeah. Jesus <laughs> so my first scene with Mandingo. It has a double penetration scene with Mick Blue and Marcus Dupree that mm-hmm. has Double anal and double vag, so wow. that was a huge scene. Then it has um, it has two gangbangs in it. It has an interracial gangbang and then another gangbang with double anal, double vag, and some triple penetration. And then the the most incredible scene for me was the scene with Manuel, and that was my first cream pie scene. And it wasn't because it was a cream pie. It was the fact that that scene is just so intimate and so authentic, and the chemistry is just it's. It's unbelievable. I, I end up crying at the end. Like, it's just such an emotional oh, scene. I love that. And I just, like, there's like 10 minutes at the end where we can't disconnect because it doesn't feel like a scene. Mm-hmm. Like, we're like trying to stop hugging him and call cut and and it was just so emotional that we couldn't break away. So that's, yeah. That's I, incredible. I can't even really call that a scene. That's just, that was just a sexual experience. that Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, that's
0: rare. There's with all the porn that we put out and all the scenes that come out on a daily basis, you know, most girls go in there, fake it, fake orgasms. The guy comes on their face, they take the check and they go home. You know, there's so much unauthentic scenes out there, which is understandable considering the amount of content that people shoot. You know, you're not going to be emotionally invested in every scene. So when a scene when you do produce a scene where just everything goes perfectly and you really click with that person chemistry-wise and just, I mean, that's really special.
1: That I mean, and that's why I got into this industry. I didn't come into this industry to perform. I came in to... express myself right. and to have these kinds of experiences. So every day on set, every every moment that I'm on set, my aim is to connect with someone and to have an amazing sexual experience with them and to get them off and to make it real. Now, it's not always possible for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Sometimes a scene will be over-directed and the director will be telling you when to orgasm. Mm-hmm. And Obviously, you can't just say, okay, come now and, and yeah. necessarily make it real unless you were on the verge anyway. So there are certain... When you can, when you can do a scene where you can make it entirely authentic, that is ideal for me. Yeah, like, that's why I love Gonzo scene so much. And Gonzo gets such a bad rap because it's seen as degrading to women, and it's it it's definitely seen as one of the rougher categories mm-hmm. of, of, of porn genres. And it it can be rough, but in my experience, it can also be one of the most intimate genres because it it actually gives performers the time to just do what they want to do. You yeah. know, it's, not, it's not so heavily directed like other styles of pornography. So I find my most intimate scenes, my most romantic scenes, are actually gonzo scenes.
0: Yeah. Now, yes, I think that a lot of people, when they think of a gonzo scene, they think of something super, super hardcore. They think of, like, a really intense, like, Jules Jordan scene mm-hmm. and maybe, like, a lot of, like, colored mesh outfits or something <laughs> porno like that. chic. Yeah, porno <laughs> yeah. chic at, like, a location that everybody's shot in 5,000 times. And yeah. But um, it actually is just, like you said, just there's no real, um, there's no dialogue, really. There's no real theme to the scene. Um, it's just basically two people coming together and having sex. Yeah. And um, and also, too, I think it means that uh, you break the fourth wall <clears throat> in you, terms of you shooting. You don't have to. Right. But... I think that's where it originated, yes. though. Yeah, it was that you actually acknowledge the camera.
1: Yeah, it was that style of, of Gonzo journalism, mm-hmm. and there's no, there's basically there's no artifice to it. You're not pretending right. that somebody's not there filming. They're right. they're almost part of the scene a lot right. of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but Gonzo has kind of evolved. You don't have to break the fourth wall. Right. And now when we talk about Gonzo, it's really just a scene with with no storyline, usually a floating camera. Mm-hmm. Um, so the camera follows the action rather mm-hmm. than being on a tripod. Right. And it's it's a scene where the performers generally just do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. And that to me is magic. That's yeah. where the magic happens. Because right. you're creating an environment for spontaneity. And when mm-hmm. you create that environment, you don't you don't know what's gonna happen. Right. You like that's where you can have those those moments of intimacy and, and creativity, sexual creativity that you can't in a scene that, that has a very specific storyline, you have to say this at Oop bumping the mic, sorry guys. <laughs> but you have to say this at this particular yes. moment. Um, and you have to you have to come in every single position and you mm-hmm. have to do you have to start with blowjob then there's some pussy licking maybe if you 're lucky and then there's three <laughs> three sex positions right. and then pop shot gonzo right. gonzo throws that um, that kind of uh, um, that structure that structure exactly yeah. it throws it out the window yeah you know I think that um,
0: I think some people need the structure of you know, certain scenes, like people, you know, maybe new girls or, you know, people who just want to go through the, you know, steps, the the different positions. And then, like I said, go home. So, um, but I think that that Gonzo, like you said, can be, I think some of the fiercest scenes come out of a Gonzo scene if you have the right performers together yes. that yes. really know what they're doing, enjoy what they're doing, and then just like go for it. Because I, I've shot scenes like that before where i will pull something and I'll be like, what the fuck is that? Or like just did not (laughs) expect that, you know what I mean? As opposed to a scene where I have to, you know, because certain clients want very specific things like you said and Mm. I have to make sure that we do certain positions. I mean, these days I get scripts with like photos of positions that they want me to shoot and I get it. They're looking just to break the monotony of the same old positions all the time and do something different and creative, especially for ad moments. Um, to just pique people 's interest because there 's just so much content out there, yeah, but, but when you can get like great performers together and just let them do what they do, you can get some amazing
1: magical stuff that I agree with that hundred percent and what what I find um, saddening about when they uh, when companies will give a script that actually has the specific positions in mind is that, you know, you're not really allowing the performers at any point to just do what they would naturally do and mm-hmm. connect on. Maybe they they really, they both really love this specific position. It's not, it's not in the script. I mean, a lot of uh, companies will, or directors will still let you just, you yeah. know, add it in there. But, you know, sex, sexuality is so creative mm-hmm. and you can stifle it if you're like, okay, do one, two, three and four and that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it's like okay. Well, what about what about the creative aspect? Of, I remember we we re- recently shot a solo, mm-hmm. and remember I kind of broke the mold of mm-hmm. what was what we were supposed to be doing, and then we kind of had to. We kept that, but then we had to redo it with the specific. Explicit shots that they needed. I started yeah. humping a pillow, so yeah, was, <laughs> yeah <laughs> which yeah. is which is I'm, I I am one to do. Yeah, um, which, there's a whole fetish for that. Yeah, there is, yeah. and for me, it's it's actually a way that a lot of women do get off. Mm-hmm. It's maybe not necessarily a pillow, but humping things and rubbing yeah. on things. Yeah, but in porn, we want to make sure we see the the pink. Yeah, we want to make sure that you because hum- guys want to
0: imagine that you're like preparing yourselves yourself for their yeah. entrance, I think. Yeah. That would be my I'm not a
1: dude, but that would be my know. guess. <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I still yeah. enjoy I still enjoy those those scripted scenes, mm-hmm. but um, I really feel like I come into myself when I can do whatever I want.
0: Right, right. Um so let's talk about uh well first of all, you our twisties treat for January. Yes. So congratulations on that. Thank you very
1: much. I'm very excited about that. So I think the first scene comes out tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that was a lot of fun too because um, you know, I got to kind of pick whatever shoots I wanted to do. And I just love we so we did a hot dog vendor thing for the first one, which was perfect for you.
1: It looked really adorable yeah, it was as well. So cute. Yeah. I'm really excited for those photos yeah. to be released so I can start posting them.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. And um, and then you're also Hosting the Avian Awards.
1: Yes, that's exciting. Yeah. So Are you nervous? Not yet. I'm sure I will be at yeah. some point. But uh, we've shot all the skits for Showtime. Okay. Uh, but now I kind of just have to wait because I don't have my script, so I can't mm-hmm. practice. There's mm-hmm. nothing I can really do to prepare aside from just staying well and yeah uh, yeah there's nothing I can do and until I get the script um, which apparently doesn't always happen until very like a couple of days beforehand yeah um, there's nothing much I can do do
0: they have a teleprompter up there for you
1: just in they case they do okay yes, yeah but do. you don't
0: want to pull like a Ron Jeremy and Mm-mm. just read it the whole time
1: I think I mean it for, <laughs> I would prefer to try and memorize as much as I can so right. then I can and say it. A guide yeah. in case you forget something exactly because we all have those moments where we're like oh yeah. I knew all of my lines two seconds ago and yes. now suddenly and you're.
0: Live yeah. and you can't like yeah. take two, and
1: the lights are in my eyes. And yeah. There's an audience. It's and very bright up there. Yeah, it's very very bright. Yeah. You can't really see the audience. Nope. No. no, no. So I'm I'm very very grateful that AVN chose me to host. It's very very cool, and I feel very welcomed into the industry, which is yeah. really amazing. Well, I have never heard anybody say a bad word about you.
0: I mean, if I had, I wouldn't tell you. But um, <laughs> but Thank honestly, you. like Thank I you. mean, you know, you're. You're a dream to work with. You're a professional. Um, you show up on time. You show up early. She was here early. I knew that was gonna happen. I was like ten minutes early and I'm like, please don't let Angela be here early. And she's sitting here when I showed up. I was like, God damn it, I should have known better. Um You I mean you show up with all the wardrobe required. You've read you've read the script, which is amazing. Um, you usually have your lines memorized. And also too, what what so Before I shot you for twisties, I hadn't worked with you since I had shot you for Angela White. And um, I have to admit, I was, because I knew how specific you were about your look. I was a little bit worried that you were going to be like, I only want to look like this. I only want to do, because believe me, I get that a lot. Um, And I was really pleasantly surprised when you were like, yeah, whatever you want to do. I don't really like my hair curly, but if you want to curl my hair, like this is your shoot. And you were totally fine about it. You know, I didn't have to worry about you being like this is not my look i don't like this because i've had that happen many 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 times
1: no well i understand when i'm shooting for other companies it's their vision it's right. what they want to bring to life and i'm there to help facilitate that so when when it's when i can be really detail oriented with my own stuff that that's why i save that for angela white DVDs. Yeah. I save that for angela white.com when i come to somebody else's set like your set mm-hmm. it's what you produce and I'm trying to help you make the best product you can. So, you know, I might have certain things that I might want or, or not want, but really it's yeah. – it's, and it's what the script dictates as well. Right. So yeah. if you showed up to set next
0: time and I was going to dress you as a clown with like a red nose and big shoes, you'd be totally cool with that, right?
1: Yeah, but I would hope that it would be latex, <laughs> like a latex clown look just because I feel like that would be hotter. <laughs> but if it's not, that's okay too. It's hard
0: to do a sexy clown though. I, I've actually seen it done – you can do almost anything sexy if it's done well. And it usually requires like latex. Latex, Cause cause like you yeah. can get away with ridiculous costuming if it's in latex. That's why it, I
1: said latex, because yeah. some, somehow latex will make that sexy. It will
0: make it yeah. work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about um, your educational background, because you're very well educated. Um, I read about the your honors thesis that you wrote, which I found to be really interesting and has been published in this book that you have
1: brought yes. here. So tell us – yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Well um- – my thesis, well, it's a, it's, it's a revised version of my thesis. that has been published in this book, which is the Rutledge Companion to Media, Sex and Sexuality, which is a, um, it's a textbook for university and master's students. Um, and so my, my chapter looks at the ways... Well, firstly, I, I conducted qualitative research into female experiences in the Australian pornography industry. That's mm-hmm. what I did for my thesis when I was studying at the University of Melbourne in Australia.
0: So, how, so did you, how did you do that research? Did you just interview a lot of girls?
1: I actually had the girls write personal narratives. And the reason I did that was because with interviews, you can even subconsciously ask like leading questions. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to have the women speak about their experiences in their own words because there, there is actually a lot of – uh, research being done on the pornography industry, but very little that actually speaks to the performance themselves. Mm-hmm. And most of that research focuses on women, which is why I chose chose to look at female experiences. And the reason for that is that there is a canonical cultural narrative about women in the industry being victims. So there's that assumption that women got into the industry because they're drug abused or they have some sort of childhood trauma. Or they have no other option. Exactly. And there there are plenty of women in this industry who have chosen to be here who are very well educated, who are here to express and explore their sexuality, or they're just business women. There's there's multiple reasons why somebody would would enter the porn industry, and so I decided to focus on women um, because I really wanted to to look at some of those arguments. But I also wanted to move away from um, that victim agent dichotomy. So mm-hmm. um, if the media looks at uh, porn performers as generally victimized. There's also this this other story of the female agent, where there's that women in the industry are are completely empowered, powerful individuals that are paving the way. They're freedom fighters. Which there are definitely women like that in the industry, but um, a lot of experiences fall somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to ask women to write personal narratives about their experiences in pornography, and I didn't want to restrict what they, they spoke about based on my questions or, or my biases or what I want to hear. I wanted them to represent themselves because uh, people in this industry are experts on their own lives. Right. But a lot of the research done doesn't listen to their voices. It doesn't actually speak to them. So researchers, academics, feminists, um, journalists, a lot of the stuff that's put out about pornography just talks about it but doesn't talk, like says a lot about what they think people are doing in the industry, what they right. think people's experiences are, but we never hear the voices of the women or the men involved in the industry. So that's what I really wanted to do with this piece. Um, and there were a lot of interesting, there was a lot of information that, that I garnered through that research um, and some of it was actually that this canonical narrative of victimisation actually constrains the way performers speak about themselves. So I never asked them, do you feel degraded? Do you feel victimized? I never asked them about about that. I just asked right. them to write about their experiences, which could have gone on in any direction. Right. But a lot of them started with, I don't feel degraded. You know, I'm I'm not a victim. I came in here, be, I chose to be in here. So...
0: Because they're faced with that question so all often. All the time. All the time. That's like the, the biggest time. question is like, do you feel... And, I've, you know, obviously I find myself asking that question too, just because I know that so many listeners and just, you know, porn fans in general... Want to know that question because that's been, you know, the argument against porn for as long as I can remember.
1: Yeah, but notice um, there's actually a bit of sexism in this because it's always the women, women. that are seen oh as God. victims, exactly. exploited. The men, the men, no, the they're men kings. Are stud- they're blind. Yeah, you they're never not victimized. See,
0: yeah, you never see groups like rallying for the rights of men and mm-hmm. like you know these uh, uh, one. Oh, you know, whenever people ask me that question, my first response is, that's an inherently sexist question, yes. and this is why. And you just articulated that so much better than I ever could have. But, yeah, 100%, I agree with you.
1: Yeah, so, um, yeah, and, and because this question about exploitation is asked so often, the, that when you do start asking performers about their experiences they feel like they're constantly having to, to, to counter argue against yeah. this question so yeah. we we don't learn about the interesting things that are happening them about uh, to them in the industry their their interesting experiences because we're so entrenched in these debates about their victimization right so I wanted to move beyond the victim agent divide and just kind of find out like w- you know what what they like what they dislike what they you – know, just any, I mean anything that they really wanted to tell me, and what, the most interesting thing, and that's what this chapter focuses on. The most interesting thing for me that came out of it was the way that performing in pornography actually had an effect on their sexuality. Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, one of the women that I um, that I engaged with, she entered the industry um, identifying as heterosexual. She uh-huh. she was in a committed relationship with her boyfriend. She had absolutely no sexual inclination towards women, and she decided to do girl girl porn. Um, because it was a job, you know, she didn't feel like it was going to have any effect on her her sexuality, and she could still identify as heterosexual. Right. However, during the scene, she ended up orgasming, and that those experiences of unexpected pleasures actually made her question her own sexual identity. And the reason this is interesting to me is because I I, I believe that sexual identity categories are, are quite restricting. I think that uh, you know we're sexuality is is fluid and it's very hard to place ourselves inside a box like i have identified myself in the past as bisexual but even that is is incorrect because i'm not necessarily only attracted to two genders you know mm-hmm. and i'm i'm attracted to many many different things and so the the ways that pornography uh, introduces performers to new sexual ideas, the diversity of sexuality and the ways that the the women in this study talk about how they've been fundamentally changed, that their sexual identity has been fundamentally shaken up by by their experiences in porn is, is really interesting and just goes to show um, the diversity of sexuality and, and, and how restrictive these categories are. Yeah, you
0: know, I, I've noticed from my interviews from doing this podcast, how many girls have told me that they have you know, grown into their sexuality, have grown up sexually in the industry. I mean, Asa Akira told me that. Mm-hmm. You know, Nicole Aniston had never masturbated um, an orgasmed on her own until she came into porn. Yeah. So there's so many examples of people who came from you know, probably sexually restrictive backgrounds or maybe just didn't know any better and then came into porn and kind of had this sexual awakening within like a safe environment to experiment with these things in. And and that's such an incredibly different view than the way most people look at porn. I mean, if you can look at it as a kind of training ground for you to find who you really are, that's, that's pretty fucking
1: cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And I would say that um, in porn, you get to experience things that you probably couldn't experience in the outside world. I mean, you could try, but for example, the gangbangs that I've done in in safe environments that I've orchestrated, that I've chosen the men, that that they're all tested. These are very difficult situations to get. Oh, my (laughs) God. I had the same
0: conversation with Lisa Ann, like how logistically difficult it was to organize a gangbang unless you were literally – doing it for work because like how are you going to get together like you know five six guys who all like each other who are all like cool like having sex within seriously close proximity to each other on the same day who all have like clean tests you know it's um yeah i mean there's there's some things that you can kind of only do in porno land
1: yeah And I would say webcamming for me personally, I haven't been, since I moved to the States, I haven't really done much webcamming because I've been so busy shooting. Mm -hmm. But I used to webcam a lot when I was back in Australia and I would be introduced to the most amazing fetishes and fantasies, things that I couldn't have possibly thought up on my own and then end up being turned on by them. So I think that, I mean, the sex industry in general is, is, it's an interesting place to Discover the myriad, um, the diversity of sexuality, and and humans are very creative when it comes to getting off. No, yes, they are. Very, very yeah.
0: Creative. <laughs> if I learned nothing else from working in the porn industry, it's definitely that. Yes. I mean, do you remember any particular um, requests that you got when you were doing webcaming, or I don't know if maybe you ever did custom videos that really kind of stuck out in your mind where you were like, "What on earth is this?" Either in a positive or a negative way. Um.
1: I, I don't do custom videos, but through webcamming, I, I, the list is is so long. Just from the simplest thing of someone being turned on by you um, spreading strawberry jam between your toes, like just a, just a simple thing. You wow. Know? But why that, not? That's you a know? new one. Why not? Yeah. Um, to shrinking fetishes, which I find very interesting. How, do, how does that work? I'm sure that, I mean, it's different for everybody, um, but uh, – some of the people that came to do shrinking fetishes with me, they would want me to give them a special potion mm-hmm. to drink um, or I would, it would be non-consensual so it would be like I'm, I've just made them some lemonade here, drink this and mm-hmm. then suddenly they'd start shrinking and I'd be an evil uh, Amazonian woman. <laughs> wow. But, but there, some people didn't sexualize it in the way that I expected them to. So the first time I shrank somebody, Shrunk. (laughs) What a weird way to start a sentence. (laughs) Only in this industry. Um, The first, the first time that I shrank somebody on uh, on webcam, I assumed that they wanted to be little so they could fit into certain places. So once I shrunk them, I was going to, you know, put them between my cleavage, put them Mm -hmm. inside my my pussy. Mm -hmm. He didn't want that at all. He wanted to play hide and go seek. And a similar thing happened with. a balloon fantasy. So there's, uh, balloons are a really big, big, big fetish out there. And, and you know what, I Because I
0: always feel that fetishes are probably cultivated from childhood, right? There's some kind of – something happened to you, um, you know, when you were at a moment where, you know, you were kind of hitting puberty and you got an erection at the same time. Something something a balloon. Yeah. yeah. So balloons are very much associated with, with children and, and childhood. So I figured – And that, happiness, though. Yes, that's happiness. true. That's true. Yeah, so I figured that must be why – there's like – because, yeah, there's a lot of – there's a lot of fetish around balloons. balloons.
1: Well, I had only really uh, known about the balloon popping fantasy right. uh, fetish. So when he asked me to blow up balloons, I started rubbing them on my body and talking about – how I was going to pop them and he almost cried. Like he got so sad. He was like, no, 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 don't pop the balloon. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is like I'm killing the balloon if I pop yeah. it. So, killing so, yeah, killing the fantasy. Yeah, so within these fetishes there's also very specific things. There's people that want to, I don't know, hear the noise, see it pop. There's people that want to love the balloon and don't want you to kill the balloon. <laughs> so I think... Don't kill the balloon. Don't, don't, don't. (laughs) Um, And for me, I I get off on getting other people off. So while Mm -hmm. I don't specifically have a, a balloon fetish, when I can see that I'm making someone aroused with what I'm saying or doing, that makes me aroused. So yeah. for me, I, I had a lot of fun on webcam and I have a lot of fun in in porn because, you know, we share these different ideas and I get to be creative with my own sexuality and see what other things I like. Edging, for example, was something I didn't realise I liked until webcamming. A guy would come on and edge me for hours mm-hmm. and I'd get paid to have these magnificent orgasms and I didn't realise I liked denial so much until i started webcam
0: probably because you were so often not denied that Mm -hmm. orgasm because you you work so much you know i mean you know most people probably don't get to orgasm as much as you do probably not
1: yeah i'm very i feel very fortunate is that why you have
0: such healthy glow about you maybe
1: yeah it's all the (laughs) orgasms (laughs) makes me happy
0: so um okay so I mean, that's that's really fascinating. And um, I I love exploring the psychology of human sexuality because I think, like you said, it's so multifaceted, it's so complex, and there's still so much we don't know about it, you know, and it's, it's one of the strongest drives behind all human behavior. So it runs very, very deep in our core. And um, I actually am reading a book right now that also Kira recommended to me um, called Sex at Dawn. I love Sex at Dawn. It's oh a my great god! Book. I am yeah. like fascinated by that book. It is so interesting. And you know, I always uh, subscribed to the idea that women and men were biologically different sexually, and that's why you know men were so much more promiscuous and, and women weren't so much because you know it made sense to me that men wanted to spread their seed as often as possible in order to procreate the human race. And and women did not want to because they had to bear the children and the responsibility of all of that. But this book kind of talks about how a lot of of that is really brought on by, you know, the cultural norms that we have had been programmed in us since a very early age and how um, back in the hunting and gathering times, you know, when you were in these groups – very, very small groups that were constantly traveling, that sex among multiple people was very common because yeah. the entire group raised the children. So the idea of specific paternity didn't matter. Didn't matter and yeah. the whole idea of monogamy rose alongside agriculture. Yeah. Because once agriculture, agriculture began... Agriculture
1: everything. It
0: did. <laughs> once agriculture started, then became the idea of personal property, then mm-hmm. became the idea of you know creating a product and and holding it onto it and then money monetary um situations came up and hierarchy and and that's when you know the idea of wanting to make sure that you know a child you're providing for is actually your own child um came up in that and that kind of led to all of our you know, misconceptions about human sexuality and our, you know, ideas of what monogamy is and why people are so massively unhappy in marriages. And, and yeah. it was just like, it was so interesting. And I'm in a monogamous relationship with my boyfriend. And so I'm reading this and I've, <sighs> I have no desire to sleep with anybody else. But it was funny. I, I was telling him, I'm like, okay, so... Don't be weirded out by this, and this doesn't mean I'm going to cheat on you, but I'm reading this book about monogamy, and it's really, really interesting. And he was, like, totally fascinated. He's like, yeah, I want to read it after you. That sounds really interesting. Great book. Blah, blah, blah. But um, it's just so – I love being challenged by new ideas. Yes. That completely turn the tables on the way that you thought things were because it's just so interesting to know – that there's all these different perspectives and possibilities out there. Just, I
1: don't know, makes life feel so much bigger. So what I loved about the book is, you know, there's that argument that homosexuality is wrong because it's not natural. Right. And homosexuality is found in, in nature, like all, all, the, time. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. absolutely, It's pretty natural. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And, and that's the thing, like, you know, you, monogamy might work for you and it obviously doesn't work for other people. Yeah. So, you know, just because you, you read the book doesn't mean you have to change yeah. the way you live. But I think the book is great just for Helping people to like to open their minds and to to think differently about how relationships could work because really we can make our relationship however we want. Right, it, we, we can customize it. We don't. It's not yes. a one size fits all. Yeah. So I I know like I'm not a monogamous person. I can't be in a monogamous relationship. I've tried it. I'm unhappy. I like for me sex is a conversation and it's a conversation I want to have with multiple people. I mm-hmm. feel like I learn about the world through having sex with people. And so for, you have like a kind of tactile, like yeah. understanding of the world and other people. I love that. So for me, I'm just, you know, I need to be, I'm okay with, um, I mean, I'm not even really good with, with social monogamy. I like to, cause you know, there's that, that idea that you can be like socially monogamous, but not sexually monogamous. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm somebody that I really like to, like, if anything, I would identify myself as Polyamorous, mm-hmm. um, but again, I don't like categorizing myself because then once you put yourself in a box, it's yeah. you know, restrictive in some way. Yeah. But um, I believe that you can be in love with multiple people at once. Um, that you can have as many sexual relationships as you want, as long as it's ethically done. Right. That
0: everybody. Ethically- the, the understanding is on both sides of the yes. like. You're the person that you're having multiple relationships, or the people that you're having multiple relationships with understand where they yes. stand. And that's a level playing field and all of that. Exactly. I mean, my parents were swingers, you know, and they're still married. Um, I don't know, 40 years later, 50 years later. I don't know. They've been married that's a long amazing. time. Wait, hold on. Let's see. They got married a year before I was born. So yeah, 40 years. <laughs> that's <laughs> Um, incredible. but yeah, so, you know, it's and, and that 100% worked for them. I mean, you know, they're my dad's 75. My mom's 71. So they are. No longer swingers are a little old for that. But you know, I mean it, it, it worked for them and um and they're still together. So it's definitely something that, you know, like you said, there is no one size fits all. Yeah. And,
1: and- relationships can go through phases. At one point it might work for two people to be monogamous, mm-hmm. at another time it might work for them to open up the relationship, swing mm-hmm. and then close it back down. It's yeah. just I feel like there's so much pressure on us to live one way. Right. Know? But we it's really you know it's interesting. so
0: I remember back in high school with my first like real boyfriend um, when we went after we graduated, we went to Europe for a couple of weeks as like kind of our graduation present. and um, we went to the red Light district and we hired a prostitute, and we had a threesome with her. and there was something so exciting about that, and it really kind of opened up the idea that that we could share partners in the future. And then we, we talked a lot about, you know, coming back to LA and maybe I could sleep with one of his guy friends and he could watch. And I don't know, it just seemed like very exciting and, and all these new possibilities were introduced. But I have to say the minute we got back home, it was like we were shut off to that idea again. I think like coming back to our own reality, like, yeah. so you know, how some, I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes when you travel and maybe you're already so sexually free that you're not bound by your geographic location, but for me, when I travel, I feel like when I'm out of my element, when I'm out of my like little bubble, my own social circle, I feel like there's so many new experiences that, that I could have that, and it wouldn't follow me back home or something like yeah. that. And I feel like more free. But then when I come back into, you know, reality, I, I'm closed off again and I'm I'm back in my bubble and I feel like I have to behave and, and act a certain way. But um I don't know. Do you experience
1: that at all when you travel? I don't, no. but I can. I completely understand. why. I mean. I, I'm very sexually open, right. and I'm. I love to explore my own sexuality, and I've never been one to censor censor it around people. But it makes complete sense that when you would go to another environment where you're not going to have the the judging eyes of people mm-hmm. that know you, where and just in general, again, like you said, like. At home, it's the reality. When you're traveling, it's kind of like this mystical other world. It's
0: and it just shows, once again, how incredibly constricted we are by, by social stigmas yeah. and how other people see us and how much we live our lives in, in the light of other people's eyes. Yeah. So... Look at yeah. us having deep I conversations know, right? on a porn <laughs> podcast. I feel so smart today. You are very smart. <laughs> it's true. I think it's just because I got a lot of sleep in the last two days. Sometimes I come to this podcast and sometimes I'm just like, I can't even find the most basic words to f- finish a sentence. But um,
1: Well, you wouldn't know it because your podcasts are great. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. Thank yourself. Good job, Holly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, okay, so let's let's talk about Asa Erotica. It's so funny, you know. I had Asa on the show the other day, and I just coincidentally have had so many people on who wrote for her book, and I'm like, I'm literally plugging your book in like every single episode. How much episode. is she paying you? She's paying <laughs> me in her gratitude. <laughs> I love
1: Asa. Arthur. Yeah, Asa amazing. So yeah. it was it was Asa obviously that asked me to be involved in the book. She told me
0: that yours was really great.
1: Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, that was my first piece of erotic fiction. So okay. What's was, it about? Um, it's 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 about a lot of things. It's it's about the erotic charge that you can get from being cheated on. Basically, okay. it's kind of it's it looks at. Um, that dichotomy of being kind of devastated and heartbroken, but also incredibly turned on, which I think is something that people can experience. I know I've experienced when I've been, when I've been cheated on, Mm -hmm. um, before I realized that I couldn't be in a monogamous relationship. And that wasn't, that wasn't the reason that I realized that that was more in myself that I need to be able to be sexually free. Um, so it looks, it, that's, that's basically what it's about. It's, um, definitely kind of looks at, I guess it's it's about emotionality. Okay, is there a passage from it that you might want to read? I can. Uh, this was I actually already had this marked because I, I, I noticed no. that you had
0: it marked. That's why I asked. I'm like because I know she doesn't have to thumb through it.
1: Um... I had it marked because I did a reading with Asa at mm-hmm. the Barnes & Noble at the Grove. So it's still marked.
0: You know, it's funny. <laughs> I went to go see Asa do her reading like the next day or something like that at the Ripped Bodice. And Dana Diarman pointed out that most of the audience were people that had already been to the <gasps> Barnes & Noble.
1: Oh, so they were hearing it, the stories again. Yeah, they were
0: just li- like they had groupies. Oh, it that's was, really nice. Though. Yeah, it was really cute.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate that fans come out and support us, not just yes. as performers but actually as intellectuals or all the other endeavours that we undertake, I think that that's really sweet of fans to do. Yes. So shout out to the fans for actually coming <laughs> out for, for a book reading. Um, so I, my, my, I, I did like quite a short passage so I could probably okay. do it if you want me to do yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I wish I was Becky. I bet you really give it to Becky. I bet you want to unload as soon as she lowers her fat cunt onto you. I bet you struggle to hold onto your cum from the very second her chubby lips wrap around your shaft. Maybe even before that. Maybe you only have to see that well-padded pubic mound and you're ready to pop. But you don't. You don't want to come too quickly for Becky. You want to impress Becky with your stamina. You want to make sure you fuck Becky long and hard. I bet your testicles ache as you try to resist your approaching orgasm. I hope your nuts hurt as you put yourself out for Becky, as you hold it all in for Becky, as you struggle on for Becky. Your eyes are closed. Are you thinking about Becky? I grind my hips onto you. I try to bear down hard and heavy. I try to crush you like Becky's massive, hulking body does. Becky can get that cock of yours balls deep inside her. Becky's hefty frame drives your prick in further. I want your dick that far up me. No matter which way I twist or turn, I can't make myself heavy enough. I'm not heavy enough. I'm not enough. I want Becky's weight on me. I want Becky's enormous rolls of luxurious blubber, her pendulous breasts, her big fat belly, her plump ass, her thick thighs, her chubby ankles. I want Becky. I want Becky to climb on top of me and squash me down onto you. I want to suffocate under the weight of Becky's bloated tits. I want Becky to sit her pudgy ass on my face. I want her fat to tumble down the sides of my cheeks so I can't breathe. I want Becky to flatten me, trample me, pulverize me. Your hands grab at me, but you can't get enough flesh. Becky has more than enough flesh. Becky has ample flesh. Becky has excess flesh. Becky is flesh. You give up trying to grab my flesh and just focus on my nipples. You twist them between your thumb and forefinger. You tweak them, you yank on them, you squeeze them far too hard. But it doesn't hurt as much as Becky. I can feel you getting close to Becky. You're using my body, using me endlessly. Every stroke is for Becky. You want me to be Becky. You're imagining I'm Becky. You wish I was Becky. I wish I was Becky. Go on. Give it to me. Give me Becky's cum. Damn, girl. That was great. Thanks. That's you, part of it.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's I, 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 figured <laughs> I figured that wasn't the whole thing. <laughs> There's more. You also read that very well. Thank you. Like, you really put a lot of emphasis on certain part. I mean, you know, and your, your cadence changed and that was, that was very impressive. Thank you.
1: Well, That's, it's supposed to be, I feel like my piece should be read out loud because it's yes. kind of got like a staccato rhythm yes. and it's about like that anger and that kind of like, you know, it's sort of like I'm turned on and then and then you're angry and then you're, you know, sad that you're not enough, and then you're, yeah, yeah it's sort of...
0: all that, Yeah, it really shows that kind of all those conflicting emotions that yeah. swirl through your head in, in something like that. Yeah. I also love, too, that she's like a bigger woman. Yes. And that you sexualized her in that way. Yes. So instead of, you know, because society so often sees bigger woman as being, you know, disgusting. Yeah. Um, you, made it, you made it sexy,
1: yeah, I want I want to feel that weight. Yes. And and obviously the fact that, you know, she's the other woman and she's heavier than me just shows that, you know, there are people that prefer bigger women, yes. curvy women. So yes. it's like that there's that cultural assumption that if you're going to be cheated on, you're going to be cheated on with like a really skinny blonde or whatever. Right. You know, it's there's that assumption, but that's not how the world works and bigger women are beautiful and I'm, I'm a bigger woman myself like especially I mean in this industry I'm considered yes. far curvier than, yes. than the average so I wanted to sexualize curves and there's there's anger in it too because you know there's that moment where I'm kind of like angry like her fat cunt but I'm also yeah. like I want her curves and yeah. it's that dichotomy between hating her for taking your man and then loving her because she is, she's fucking beautiful. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that comes across. Yeah, no, I love that. And that's also another thing that I really
0: like about the porn industry as opposed to the main mainstream industry is the way that it embraces women of all shapes and sizes yes. and, and all different kinds of fetishes. I mean, you know, it's like whatever you're into, whatever you look like, there, there is a place for you in yeah. the adult industry. And that is definitely not. The case in the mainstream industry no. at all,
1: and the the internet's really helped with that. It's really democratized yes. um, the pornography industry, and, and it and it democratizes pleasure, and it democratizes access to pleasure. Yes. And I think that um, for for me personally. Uh, when when I had decided to get into the pornography industry, my body wasn't being represented on mainstream media, at least not in a in a positive way. So, right. I, I mean, I'm I'm not quite in the BBW category, but I'm definitely you're a, definitely not in the no, BBW but, category. Well, um, I am. I'm I'm, th- I'm now. There's this movement, like the the in- Instagram has made thick something mm-hmm. something good, something yes. desirable. But when I was growing up, being thick was not desirable. Uh, yep. So for me. When, obviously I entered porn to express my sexuality, but th- the second part to that is that it was the first time I had my body really be desired, like the mm-hmm. first time that I felt like actually um, my body is something that people want to pay for. And in a, in a capitalist society, being commodified is actually, it's like saying, you know, your body is worth something. Yes. And before then it was like, I always felt like I was too fat or, you know, my boobs were too saggy or whatever. Like now I realize natural boobs hang that's what they do. Right. That's just how natural boobs look. And you've
0: probably learned from having big natural boobs exactly how to do that kind of boob play that guys are into mm-hmm. and they want a lot of that that swinging, the movement. Yes. I mean you are the queen of getting your boobs to bounce when they, you walk. I've yeah. noticed that from like your little Instagram videos like you make those
1: things shake in a way like you've really like. It's become a thing with yes. the, the Angela walking. That's, yes. That's, that's the thing and that they want to see uh, a lot of people that like curvy women. They want to see the the movement that's mm-hmm. what they like about it. they like the touch it's soft they right. like the way they move they want to see them hanging um, so you know I've learned to embrace my curves and love my body through working in pornography and seeing that actually like even if um, other people you know there's going to be certain people that, that don't like it but There is a market for me and people do like seeing my body.
0: Yeah. You know, I when I was um, younger and in high school, I always hated my legs and I always thought Mm. I had like thick, short legs and I just was – and now I'm like – I wish, you know, now I, I appreciate girls with, with thick legs and I think that it's, it's come into play with the fact that like what you said, like society's become more accepting of it. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that it was the vehicle of the internet that really brought this into light? So as opposed to before, you know, when we had such a small, you know, smaller margins of um, – you know, interaction with each other, and just um and media, the media told us what we liked, yeah, and now the internet has just opened up the dialogue for everybody to talk about what they like, yeah, and we're seeing a shift in in what the media is portraying because people are really able to come out and say, "Actually, I don't like what you've been trying to sell me my whole life, yeah, I like this
1: yeah
0: and and that's been one of the one of the wonderful things about the internet, you know that Definitely. that I really. That one of the things that I love about it,
1: and the the body positive movement in general, yes. because like you know, it's it's not just that you know curvy girls are beautiful, skinny girls are beautiful. Everyone's everybody has their own beauty, both right. external and internal. And right. I think that we can celebrate that. And I think that the the internet helps us to celebrate that more. Yes, absolutely. The diversity of of human human body types. Yeah. Even the dad bod, even for the men, I like know, the dad right? bod is now. Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, you like it? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know, it's funny because you know, I always tell my I mean, I'm I'm subject to, you know, that kind of self-loathing a lot of the times mm-hmm. where, you know, I look at myself and I don't think I'm skinny enough. I don't think this is enough. And and I think that, you know, working in an industry where we play on the fantasy of beautiful woman, I think that that definitely affects me in a certain way. Um, but then, you know, and I'll look at myself and I'll think this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And then I'll see somebody else who's got those same things wrong with them that I find wrong with myself. But it, they have such a personality and a light to them that all of the, I don't know, it's it's okay. Yeah. Like, like I see it in other people, and it's like it's okay in them because I love who they are as a person or or they have this kind of confidence and and I don't notice you know that that double chin or like that you know thick waist and you know all these things that but then I see that in myself and I hate it, and yeah. I'm just like it's but I, i'm I'm more conscious of that recently, which I think has been helpful
1: yeah we are we are our own worst critics, yes. and it's it's a shame because you know we are beautiful, yeah. We're all different. We're all beautiful. It's, it's a shame that we can accept in others what we can't accept in ourselves. Right. Right. But you know, at
0: least if we, if we can be open and and see that that's what we're doing, we can, you know, move towards shifting our perspective. Definitely. So Angela, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. This has been a really, a really great interview. And, um, I'm I you know I always admired you as a person and I always thought that you, I mean you're obviously an incredible businesswoman um you know and I've worked with you and and I've always been impressed by your professionalism but I did not I honestly did not realize how smart you were. Oh, I really didn't know and um and I'm like I'm blown away by you. I'm really impressed by you and I'm really happy that you came on because I think now, you know, you can I mean you've really like shown yourself, you know, to all my listeners and everything that 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 women in porn can be so much more than just these sexual objects, yeah, and I love the way that you've intellectualized your journey in the adult industry and I just think um, your message is really important
1: thank you very much yeah my my whole existence in pornography is part of a larger sexual journey and part of basically an ethnographic study on on the industry and and it's through my own sexuality so it's it's been an amazing ride and I'm looking forward to to more and thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast I am a listener and you do a really amazing job with this so thank
0: you thank you well I good luck at the AVN Awards thank you very much I can't wait to see you there. Thank you. And uh, where can our listeners find you on social media if they don't already know?
1: Well AngelaWhite.com is your hub for all things Angela White. My Instagram is at TheAngelaWhite. Twitter is Angela White, just Angela White and if you want to come to the Avian Awards you can go to avianawards.com and get your tickets there and see me co-hosting with the beautiful Harley Lott Um, Yeah, it's going to be an amazing show, I'm really excited
0: Me too, me too I can't wait to see what you're going to wear, girl Oh yeah, I'm working (laughs) on it I wonder if your boobs will be on display, I don't know
1: (laughs) They might be I feel like that might be why they chose me (laughs) I feel like it's a lot more than that
0: you're more than just your boobs, Angela Thank White. you.
1: I'm deeper than my cleavage.
0: <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. That is like a tagline. That should be on yeah. your next shirt. Yeah, That's all I'm saying. 20% that's all I want.
1: And my cleavage is very deep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, Angela, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Everybody, thank you for listening. And if you want to find me, I'm at Holly Randall on Instagram and Twitter. HollyRandall.com is my website, and if you want to support this podcast, go to Patreon.com slash HollyRandallUnfiltered. See you guys next week. Well, I have to say I feel a lot smarter after sitting down with Angela for over an hour and having that discussion. Didn't we sound edumacated? I feel like we sounded edumacated. Seriously, though, I was really impressed with Angela. I mean, already, you know, I thought very highly of her. She's a very intelligent girl. I could, you know, pretty much tell that right off the bat, just being on set. She's very professional. Um, but I did not expect her to be that well educated. I didn't expect that kind of vocabulary on her. Not because, you know, again, I always knew she was smart, but she, I felt like I kind of had to look up a couple of words on the sly while she was talking. Cause that girl is, uh, Really eloquent. And I just, I'm so excited that I had that discussion with her. I think that we talked on, I think that we touched on some really important and really interesting subjects. And she definitely opened my mind to seeing things in a different perspective. And I hope that she did the same for you. And um, I just think she's a fantastic representation of the different kinds of girls that we have in this industry and, you know, that not every porn star is just a mindless sack of flesh who's giving up her holes for money because she has no other options in life. I think that if you had those kinds of expectations about girls in the industry, I think Angela just shattered them. So Angela, thank you so much for coming on. That was truly, truly a delightful interview. Next week on Holly Randall Unfiltered, we have Chanel Preston in the studio. She's been in the industry since January 2010. She's been a penthouse pet. She co-hosted the 31st annual AVN Awards. She was also president of APAC, the Adult Performers Advocacy Committee, and she recently started her own podcast. I'm very excited to have her on. She's a very smart cookie with a great sense of humor. And so I think this interview is going to be a lot of fun. So make sure that you don't miss Chanel Preston next week on Holly Randall Unfiltered.